Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given throughout the area. Today's show features Tim Staples and his talk, Baptism, recorded at the Gift of Faith Conference in June 2010. And now, Tim Staples. Thank you very much. They gave me a little soda here. Last night, uh, as Barbara, I got that right, mentioned, uh, the airplane was bouncing around like crazy coming in here. You know, isn't it amazing how a bumpy plane ride helps your prayer life? Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> you know, you got atheists on the airplane looking for rosaries, you know, but... Uh, but it was a bumpy ride coming in, and then I made the mistake of having a Wendy's burger late night last night, and it's still with me, so I'll be sipping a little soda to settle my stomach. But it's great to be with you, and it's good to hear that the radio st- station here is doing so well. It's exciting to hear how the affiliates, the various stations. Now, we can't even keep up with them. There are so many coming online right now. Just got a new station in Washington, D.C. Many of you probably heard of, and, you know, the one in San Francisco. And now we've, we're right on the verge in San Diego. Uh, it's really exciting and wonderful to hear that this station here is, is doing so well. God has a plan. Does anybody agree with that? You know, we were talking in in the car a little bit and this morning uh, about how with all the insanity that's coming out of Washington, D.C., it seems like our Lord is gearing up the church. Such wonderful things happening. Archbishop Gomez now coming into Los Angeles. I tell you, God's got a plan and it looks awful good. Well, I'm going to share with you some brief remarks on the sacrament of baptism, would it be okay if we pray again? Are you allowed to pray more than once? Is that all right? (laughs) Okay, I just wanted to be sure. Let's say a quick prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of faith, and we acknowledge that it is just that, a gift. We've done absolutely nothing to merit the gift of faith that we have received through baptism, and yet we know we're called to nurture and nourish this great gift, And not only for our own salvation, but so that we might be instruments to bring this great gift of salvation to others as well. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, that we might be receptive to the Word of God that is able to make us wise unto salvation. And we ask this through Christ our Lord as we now consecrate this hour into the loving maternal arms of our Blessed Mother, and we do so with confidence, knowing that she always leads us to Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Joseph, St. Thomas Aquinas, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, I I hope you all don't mind. Uh, I am an apologist, so you're going to get some apologetics. But in talking about baptism, the first 
and thinking about what I was going to share with you, the first thought that came to my mind, and some of you have heard me say this before, but was actually that you Catholics are a bunch of spoiled, rotten brats. Some of you have heard me say that before, but the reason why I say that, I, I immediately thought of a, an old Assembly of God pastor friend of mine who actually, uh, he wanted me, after I got out of the Marines, to come and serve at, at his, uh, I almost said parish, we didn't call him parishes, his uh, church there in Oak Harbor, Washington. He was an old Pentecostal preacher, a big fella. And a one, really a wonderful man, but I remember on, on the issue of baptism, some of you probably don't know this, but in Pentecostal circles there's all kinds of arguments about how to baptize. You know, some say you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some say you baptize in the name of Jesus only, right? You ever heard of that, right? Well, my pastor, good old Pastor Wagner, he used to, when he baptized, just to be sure he was making everybody happy and the Lord happy, he would say, I now, you know, we get him into the tank there, you know, I now baptize you in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Kerplunk. <laughs> because as you know, in some places in Scripture, it says in the name of the Lord, some in the name of Jesus, some in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, you know, thinking back at that, you know, I can't help but once again to think of how spoiled rotten we are as Catholics because these, these arguments and issues have been settled for us for, you know, nearly 2,000 years in the very early centuries. We went through all that stuff, but our Protestant brethren have to reinvent the wheel every generation. And that's why I say you're a bunch of spoiled, rotten brats. And a lot of times we don't realize the incredible gift that we have in the magisterium of the church. Thanks be to God that, as my Greek professor in the seminary used to say, Father Patrick Brennan, a little pugnacious Irishman at St. Charles Borromeo, he used to say, if God deigned to reveal his sacred truth through the Bible alone, well then God's not very smart. Because heaven knows, you know, does, is anybody here in a family? Can you raise your hand if you're in a family? Okay. Well, you know full well how arguments get out of hand just over something Mar Aunt Martha said last week. And it's been misinterpreted and miscommunicated and everything else until you have to call a priest in to arbitrate against the warring parties, and that's just at the dining room table. How much more? Do we fight over, you know, dead languages and documents written, you know, at least 2,000 years ago? But I'd like to begin our thoughts here on baptism by real quickly say, what, you know, how do, how do you baptize? I mean, we used to joke about how, you know, how do you do it among Protestants? I mean, do you dunk, do you pour, do you squirt? You know, and in what name do you baptize? And as you and I know, of course, Jesus gives us the form of baptism in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, when he says, and very importantly, to the apostles, in the context of the Great Commission, as we call it, sending them out to the whole world, he tells them to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that, for 2,000 years, has been and is and will always be the form of baptism. 
But the question always comes in here, okay, great, Jesus said in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then why does Peter say in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? Are you all ready for some apologetics this early in the morning? Why does he say when a man comes up to him after Peter preached masterfully there on Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit had fallen, not to steal Father's thunder from the next talk, that's confirmation, uh, and Peter proclaims the gospel with power, and they come to him and say, what must we do? Okay, you got us. We, we believe. What must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? My, uni- my United Pentecostal friends will say, see, Peter got the fullness of the revelation that Jesus is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's why he said, baptize in Jesus' name only. Now, by the way, that's false. <laughs> that's not true. Right? But that's what my United Pentecostal friends will say. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is the Scripture doesn't say it. The United Pentecostals say it. Amen? Amen. Peter didn't say, I got the revelation. Jesus is the Father. No, he didn't say that. A, a, a quick way, an easy way to clear this up is I, I like to use my military police uh, background in the Marine Corps at this point. When I was in the Marine Corps and as a military policeman, I had a little badge right here. And that little badge represented a lot of power. See, when, when I, I'm thinking of uh, once when I was doing crowd control at El Toro, we had an uh, air show, and there was a half a million people there, just jam-packed. And it was just a small force. I, I was one of maybe 40, 50 guys that had to do crowd control on a half a million. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. You know, and yet, see, that badge represented something. Now, yeah, you guys could overpower me as an individual with this badge right here. But this badge represents a whole lot of more guys. To use my best English, a whole lot of more guys that have weapons that are bigger and badder than yours. You mess with me... And you're messing with the Marine Corps, and you don't want to go there. I will guarantee you that. So in, in a sense, you know, that gives me a sense of what it means when, when Peter, think of this, Peter is proclaiming the gospel to thousands of Jews that had gathered there for Pentecost. And when he, it's sort of like me. I remember we had to stop some kids that were, were doing some bad stuff. Now, we didn't use this language, but we could have. We could say, stop in the name of the law, right? In other words, by the authority of the law, you better stop and now. Rethink what you're doing. All right? Well, Peter is proclaiming to a massive crowd of people, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And why that's so important is because, remember, there were many other baptisms. As the, the inspired author to the Hebrews tells us, for example, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, there were many baptisms. There was John's baptism. There were Jewish baptisms in the plural. And so Peter, proclaiming the truth of Christ, says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. In other words, it's Jesus' baptism. Amen? Amen. He's not giving the form. The form was already given by Jesus. He's saying, you be baptized in the name of Jesus. It's Jesus' baptism, not John's, not the Jewish baptisms, but it's Jesus' baptism. And how did Jesus say to baptize? 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we even get a hint in Acts chapter 19, for example, verses 1 through 6, when St. Paul goes to Ephesus, we even get a hint that the proper form was being used here, and this is how you can know. So remember, Paul goes to Ephesus, and there was only a few believers. In fact, in Acts 19, it tells us Paul began with 12. Does that sound familiar? Paul began with 12 Catholics there in Ephesians who believed and were baptized, and he uh, created, by God's grace, one of the great churches of Asia Minor that Jesus would speak to about 30, 40 years later, a little more than that, in, in the book of Revelation. But at any rate, when he goes to Ephesus, there were some believers there, but they believed in Christ only knowing the baptism of John. Remember that? That's a homework assignment. Read it when you, when you get home. And St. Paul, when he encounters them, he asks them if they had heard of the Holy Spirit since they believed. And they said, no, we haven't heard of any Holy Spirit. And now, notice Paul's response. He says, well, in what name were you baptized? And they said, with John's baptism. Now, if baptism was in Jesus' name only, how would Paul have known that they had heard of the Holy Spirit just through baptism? Are you all with me? I know I'm causing you to think a little bit, and it's early. We'll return to Living Bread Radio Presents after a short break. This is Monsignor John Kozar, National Director of the Pontifical Mission Societies in the United States. Right now, across the globe, there are millions of refugees, people living outside their home country because of political turmoil, natural disaster, or other circumstances. Many of them have spent decades in refugee camps, making homes out of bamboo huts and tents. The people, poor but rich in their generous, loving hearts, welcome me inside their humble homes. Even though they had next to nothing, these refugees didn't hesitate to make me feel at home. In our own lives, may we welcome the stranger and comfort the oppressed. It's a lesson from the missions. Brought to you by the Pontifical Mission Societies. To learn more about becoming a missionary right where you are, visit our website at onefamilyandmission.org. Remember, if you're baptized, you're a missionary. Through prayer and sacrifice, in word and witness, we're all part of this one family and mission. And now the conclusion of today's production of Living Bread Radio presents. Well, the reason why Paul knew that they would have hold, heard of the Holy Spirit if they were baptized properly is because proper baptism is the name of the Father, Son, and? Exactly. So he immediately said, in what name were you baptized then? Well, John's baptism. And he immediately had them baptized in Jesus' name or by the authority of Jesus or with Jesus' baptism, which is in the name of the All right. You guys are becoming good apologists right now. Yeah. So we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's clear from sacred scripture. But let's talk a, a couple other apologetics points before we get to the good stuff. Because some of the most important matters when it comes to baptism, I'm going to get to now, at least... For me, when I was a fire-breathing Pentecostal trying to convert every Catholic I met and get them out of that dead, dried-up Catholic church, was 
why do y'all baptize babies? Right? Has anybody ever been asked that before? Right? Why do you baptize babies? Doesn't the Bible say, for example, in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should have everlasting life, right? Don't you have to believe before you can be baptized? That's a common question that is asked. John 3.16 says you've got to believe. How can a baby believe? Now, what I learned about 24 years ago, and I, I'm, I'm going to say this, and some of you probably heard me say this before, but my, my buddy Matt Dula, who was the sergeant in the Marine Corps, a Catholic guy that introduced me to the Catholic faith in a way I'd never heard before, giving me biblical, historical, reasoned responses. I, I, I say of Matt all the time that that boy knew how to punch with angles. All right? Now, any of you guys that have done a little boxing? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, punching with angles. See, when I was a kid, I, I boxed golden gloves, right? You just, you know, basically amateur as little kids, you know, you just get in there and good left jab, straight right hand, maybe a hook, and you bang heads. But as you get a little better... You're taught how to punch with angles. And what that means is, you know, just inside, just a little step to the right and a bam, uppercut. See, I got a, I got a boxer over here, I can tell. Just that little step to where you hit, bam, bam. It's the punch the guy never sees. That's the one that knocks him out, all right? Some ladies are being scandalized right now. How can he talk about boxing? Uh, anyway. Hey, let us men be men, okay? Anyway, no, I'm kidding. But the point is, you punch with angles, it's that off, bam, bam, that really knocks somebody out. I used to say, uh, and I've said often of Matt, that boy knew how to punch with angles. Because he, he would always get me in ways I wasn't expecting. And here is a great one. Because when I said, you know, you've you got to believe before you can be baptized. I mean, faith alone is what I was getting at. Faith alone is required for salvation. You know what Matt did? He said, Tim, let's go to Romans chapter 4. Let me show you something. Who are the two examples that St. Paul uses for justification by faith in Romans chapter 4? Abraham and David. Those were two Old Testament guys. Amen? Old Testament guys. And they were justified by faith. Well, let me ask you this. Why is it then that David was circumcised when he was a little baby? Now, how did one enter into a covenant relationship in the Old Testament with God? Through faith? Absolutely. But not faith alone. Circumcision! Amen? But now, Matt said this to me. He said, Tim, now, now, wouldn't they have to first accept Moses as their personal prophet? (laughs) Before they could be circumcised, right? And I'm going, oh my gosh, I had never thought of it that way. Circumcision was the way that you were incorporated into that covenant family. And that's why, by the way, ladies, your relationship with God in the old covenant was dependent upon your father, your husband. Now, we could get into that. That's, that would take us a little bit of time. But the point is, I was going, wow. Then he added something else. He said, Tim, what does St. Paul tell us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, about baptism. St. Paul calls baptism the circumcision of Christ. How old were they when they were circumcised? Eight days old. 
Tim, let's go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. When Peter makes that great proclamation that we talked about earlier, right? He's speaking to thousands of Jews who were well familiar with circumcision. They were well familiar with the idea of the covenant family of God. You come to God as a family and in a family. Amen? And Peter proclaims to these thousands of Jews, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 39. And this promise is for you and for your children. Now, folks, every Jew listening to that right there knew exactly what he was talking about. You baptize babies. And folks, from the day one, what do we see in sacred scripture but family, covenant, baptism, right? The first uh, European convert, look at Acts chapter 16, verse 15. Lydia the Purpler, the first European convert, when she converted... What does the Bible say? She was baptized and her household. Right? Look at, just go down a few verses to verse 33, the Philippian jailer. Remember that story? When he came to faith, and in dramatic fashion, when he came to faith, it says he was baptized and his whole family. Even though his family wasn't even there, when he came to faith, his whole family was baptized. Cornelius In Acts chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, when he came to faith, he was baptized and his household. We could go to 1 Corinthians as well, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, where St. Paul talks about, when I was among you Corinthians, I baptized none other than Crispus and Gaius and the household of Stephanus. Now, what do these texts imply? They imply, if you're baptized in whole households, Pretty good chance there were some babies in there. Amen? And that's not a surprise when you understand that baptism is the circumcision of Christ. So, of course, man, for these first century Jews, of course you would baptize infants. And when you add to that, and this is going to be very important in a moment, the reality of original sin, as it's taught by St. Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, as well as the fifth session uh, from the Council of Trent that, in, that defined infallibly the nature of original sin. Uh, scripture makes very plain that through the sin of one man, Adam, sin and death has come upon us all. We have all inherited original sin. We say in Catholic theology that original sin is not sin properly speaking. It's sin by analogy, Right? It was sin properly for Adam and Eve because they did it. Amen? That's why, by the way, when you go to confession, you don't have to confess original sin, right? Please, if you do that, stop doing it, okay? You, you didn't do it, so you don't have to confess it. But by, we call it sin by analogy in as much as it represents the fact that we have inherited a fallen nature through the sins of our original parents, the sin of Adam and Eve. Adam being the, the ultimate uh, culprit there, according to Romans 5.12. Eve being sort of the first mover, if you will, according to 1 Timothy 2.12. Now, the point is that each one of us has this defect on our souls that will, in fact, because how many of you know Revelation 21.27 tells us 
No unclean thing can enter into heaven. Amen? Habakkuk in the Old Testament, chapter 1, verse 13 tells us, God is of purer eyes than to even behold the slightest iniquity. So no imperfection can enter into heaven. That is a real defect on our souls. We've lost the gift of integrity and such that Adam and Eve had, and that would keep us from the presence of God. Hence, another very important reason, not only because baptism is the circumcision of Christ, but because baptism removes that stain, removes original sin, so that we can enter into heaven. And not only into heaven as in in the future, but also into the kingdom of God on earth, the kingdom of heaven on earth, the church, whereby we have access to the other sacraments in accordance with our calling in life. All right, we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.